Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Church Podcast. Sounds like I am. Yeah, man, what a joy to see everybody today. Uh, I was joking with Pastor Justin before service because I've been speaking at FC since about 2010, 2011, and this is actually the first time he's ever been in service when I've spoken, which makes me scratch my head and wonder, hmm, is he going to like open the trap door while I'm speaking and be like, no, I'm just kidding. He wouldn't do that. We are great friends, and it's been such a joy Um, just to be a part of what God's been doing in this house to reach uh, the nations of the world. Uh, Pastor Justin and Casey, we love you so much. We honor you as uh, God's chosen mouthpiece here, and thank you for just investing into all of our lives. And to FC, uh, to everyone watching online or to here in person, thank you for what you're doing in Kenya. I know Pastor Justin's given you several updates, but we've been able to feed almost 3,000 people every two weeks in the Mara area through the churches that we've planted, and that's all because of your guys' generosity. So to God be the glory. Um, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to jump straight into the uh, message today. Um, and to do that, we are going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 7. Um, and following. And as Pastor Justin mentioned, my style is a little bit different than his, but my style is expository, all right? So I would really recommend if you have a, you know, Bible in front of you, that it's a good place just to camp out in First Peter chapter 3, because we're going to be referring to it regularly throughout the message today, all right? So First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 from the NIV says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully, administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today. We open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of this message today is uh, simply this. Please don't go back to normal, all right? Please don't go back to normal. Uh, We're in a series here at FC on how not to be a jerk, lessons learned in quarantine, and I think that uh, this idea of please don't go back to normal is probably the biggest lesson that the Lord's been speaking to me about, all right? 
Uh, to set this up, I'm going to tell a funny story because those of you that have heard me speak know that once I get going, I get intense, so sometimes it's good to laugh before we get too intense, right? So a youth pastor comes for an interview, and the pastor asks him one final question, the senior pastor. He says, tell me the story of the Good Samaritan. And the young man says, once there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked him. And he went on, and he didn't have money, and he met the queen of Sheba. She gave him a thousand talents of gold and a hundred changes of raiment, and he got into a chariot and drove furiously. And when he was driving under a big juniper tree, his hair got caught on a limb of that tree, and he hung there many days. And the ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink, and he ate five thousand loaves of bread and two fishes." One night when he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut off his hair, and he dropped and fell on stony ground. Then when he went on till he met a servant who said, come, take supper at my house, and he made an excuse and said, no, I won't. I have married a wife, and I can't go. And the servant went out in the highways and in the hedges and compelled him to come in. After supper, he went on and came down to Jericho, and when he got there, he looked up and saw old Queen Jezebel sitting down way up on high in a window. She laughed at him. Then he said, throw her down from there. And they threw her down. And he said, throw her down again. They threw her down 70 times, seven times. And of the fragments that remained, they picked up 12 basketfuls besides women and children. Now, whose wife do you think she will be on judgment day? The senior pastor said, ah, that's a great story, but it's not the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, can I, can I suggest today that so much of what is happening in this season of unpredictability is that God is getting his people back to a place of consistency in terms of authentic biblical Christianity, not the convenient, easy 21st century American version. Many people that, you know, I've interacted with and talked to have told me something to the effect, you know, when we go back to normal, when things go back to normal, when things get back to how they were pre-COVID, but maybe normal isn't where we needed to be all along. What if normal isn't God's definition of normal? And so I'll just read two quotes here from two of my spiritual heroes. The first one up here is from Leonard Ravenhill. And it says, the church has been subnormal for so long that when it becomes normal, it sometimes looks abnormal. And then the next quote from Watchman Nee, the great Chinese uh, pastor, church leader said this. He says, by the time the average Christian gets his temperature up to normal, Everyone thinks that he has a fever. Now, look at this passage with me this morning for a few simple thoughts on what normal biblical Christianity looks like in terms of the last times, all right? Now, to set the context up in verse 7, Peter says, the end of all things is near, all right? Now, I've heard several people say or post something to the effect that because of corona and because of all of what's transpired in our world in the last few months, that it's the end times, and they'll say, because of that, we are out of here. And the implication seems to be that Jesus is coming back soon. Um, and so basically, we fold our arms, retreat into the safety of our homes, and wait for Jesus to rescue us from this crazy mess. But it's important to remember that when the New Testament lays out the idea of the end times or the last times, the New Testament church viewed everything from the context of when the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. Everything from that point forward was the last days to a New Testament writer, all right? So everything you're reading in the New Testament was basically set within the stage and context of this idea that Jesus could come back at any moment. These are the last days times. Now notice what follows after Peter says that the end is near. 
He doesn't say, well, guys, it's the last time. Jesus will show up any second. Just retreat into your house and get ready to be raptured. After all, it's time to leave this wicked world. No, instead, what Peter is going to lay out for us here in this passage is that the last times aren't the time to escape. They are the times to press in and for the people of God to rise up and be the hands and feet of Jesus and to represent him as the church in the world that we live in today. And to do this, Peter is going to illustrate this by giving us three verbs, okay? I said the title of the message today was this, please don't go back to normal. The abbreviated form of please is PLS. So you can remember this by the three verbs are PLS, please. Pray, love, and serve, okay? Pray, love, and serve. So we look at verse 7 after uh, articulating to us that we are living in the last days. Peter says uh, this idea here, uh, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray, okay? I think I put alert and sober-minded uh, in the notes for you. Different translations have different, ver- uh, different uh, wording there. The question I'd like to ask you is this. In prayer, are you becoming more like Christ or are you trying to make Christ be more like you? In prayer, are you becoming more like Christ or are you trying to make Christ more like you? Now, if you've been going to FC for any period of time, or if you're new today, one of our core values here is simply this. Growing equals? Yeah, you guys are awesome. You're on board. Um, And here's what I've learned. One of the surest ways to grow spiritually is in the place of prayer, because God will change you to make you like him. Did you know that? I remember reading a devotional sometime when as a teenager, and my prayers used to be very much the grocery list style of prayer. Lord, do this. Lord, touch Uncle Joe. Lord, heal so-and-so's kneecap. God, if you would just do this. God, if you'd get on board with my program and my plan, then I'd be really, really happy. And I'll never forget when I read the words leapt off of the page that said, if your prayers don't change you, you're not praying right. Okay, so kind of keep this idea in mind that for Peter, what he's talking about here is not making God conform to the image that I want to create for him, but rather allowing myself to be transformed and conformed to the image of what we find laid out in the New Testament in terms of who Jesus is. And Peter's going to use two adverbs to set this up, right? An adverb modifies a verb, okay? And so the two adverbs are alert and sober-minded. Peter is saying that if we are going to have a vibrant prayer life in the last times, then these two factors need to be taken seriously, okay? Factor number one is this idea of being alert. Uh, The Greek word here is the idea of self-control, of implementing some kind of a um, imposition upon yourself to make sure that you are following God's standards, all right? Um, A.W. Tozer, another one of the old dead guys that I like to read, uh, used to put it this way. He said, the praying person stops sinning and the sinning person stops praying, right? And so you have this idea here that when Peter is going to talk about self-control, what he's talking about really goes back a few verses earlier in verse 3 of chapter 4, and he says, you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans chose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idols. What Peter is saying is it's time to stop saying you're a Christian and then at the same time living like a pagan. Two chapters before that, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter would state it this way. He says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people that belong to God for the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. So his idea seems to be if you live like a pagan once you are born again, then you can be sure that you're not going to be able to pray. Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, eh, so what? 
Who cares if I can't pray in the last days? Why is that really important at all? And I would say, sadly, this mindset is really common in our generation because people are bored with God, they're bored with his word, they're bored with his people, and they're bored with his will. But Peter says, you need to be sober. And this idea of sober has this idea of a serious mindset because unless you have that clear-minded, serious mindset, you're not going to be able to discern that the real power of being able to live a Christian is not necessarily found on Sunday morning in church attendance. It's found in your own personal devotional life with Christ, right? So for anyone who thinks that prayer is boring, I would push back on you and say, you simply haven't experienced the real thing. Now remember who wrote this passage, because it's Peter, right? Now what do we know about Peter? Well, we know that we can understand a lot about his life when you look at the book of Acts. Leonard Ravenhill used to say that the book of Acts could really be described as the book of the acts of prayer through the people of God. Because you read through the book of Acts and it's prayer, God moves, prayer, God moves prayer, God moves. So Acts chapter 1, all the disciples join together in prayer, and the result is that in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit falls with power and fills them with the necessary courage and force that they are going to need to turn the world upside down. Acts chapter 3, Peter's going to the prayer meeting in the temple when they meet a cripple who is instantaneously healed. He goes walking and leaping and praising God. If you grew up in Sunday school, you'll get that. Okay. If you didn't, no big deal. Um, the commotion leads to an arrest threats and intimidation. So Peter, what does he do? He leads another prayer meeting. He calls the disciples together. The Holy Spirit is again poured out. The whole house is shaken and the believers are filled again with the power of the Spirit to live out the Christian life. So for Peter, prayer is equivalent to being filled with the power of the Spirit. When you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, your spiritual life stops being a chore or a religious duty. And instead it becomes a joy and a delight and a spiritual workout and an engagement that produces fruit in your life so that when people look at you, they go, ah, consistency. This person isn't talking about a fake um, Good Samaritan story. This person is living out Jesus. Then in Acts chapter 12, Peter and James are arrested, the two pillars of the church. The Bible tells us that James is put to death by the sword. And then interestingly, in verse 5, the word of God says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Now, what's interesting about that is no prayer for James. What happens to James under persecution? church starts praying for Peter, and God sets up an angelic rescue mission where they go and basically uh, kick open the gates of the prison and lead the guy out, and it's an amazing story. And so the point is simply this. Your individual prayers certainly have power, but even more so the corporate prayers of the church in unison when we walk with a clear-minded, self-controlled, sober understanding that our prayers have an importance in the hour and generation in which we're living in. And can I suggest right now, America has never been in more desperate need of the people of God to be praying. So how do we pray practically? Because that was a mouthful that I just gave you. So let's put an acronym up here on the screen. Uh, for those of you that have taken GROW class, this may be familiar, but it's basically, this is the acronym that I used to learn how to pray growing up. And there's many acronyms out there. This is not... Uh, um, this is not a Bible doctrine. This is just a suggestion to get you moving in the right direction. You see ACTS, Acts, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. 
So in adoration, what are you doing? You're telling God who he is, not because God forgot who he is, but because we forget who he is. And so as we make a big deal about who God is, then it clears our hearts and our minds so that we're not freaking out over whatever need and pressing issue may be coming against us, but rather we get a picture of the glory and majesty of God so that we can then begin to prepare our hearts to come into the place of prayer. Confession. You know, you look here, this is this idea of repentance and saying, God, there may be things in my life that aren't in proper order and alignment according to your word. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me and sanctify my life by your blood so that I can pray in agreement with your will. Thanksgiving, this idea of just giving thanks to God, thanking him for all that he's done, thanking him for who he is in your life and everything that he's accomplished, right? And then supplication. Now, why is this important that we put supplication at the end? I think this is important because we put requests last because if not, when we pray, we often pray our will instead of his will. Did you know what the Bible says? It's so clear in 1 John 5, 15. This is the confidence that we have if we ask anything according to his will. He hears us, and if we know that he hears what we ask of us, then we know that we have received it. So many times Christians give up on praying because they're praying something that God isn't answering because they're not actually praying God's will, they're praying their will. All right, so let's just, can you put that question back up there one more time as we close out on this point here? Um, The question is simply this. In prayer, are you becoming more like Christ or trying to make Christ more like you? Okay? So remember we said uh, P stands for? Two people got it. All right, let's try one more time. P stands for? prayer. All right. So what else does Peter say that as we approach the end times, the last times, the final moments of history, how should we conduct and live our lives? Well, he says in verses eight and nine, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now I put in the notes that this idea of possess a stretchy kind of love, okay? Possess a stretchy kind of love. Now, what's interesting about this, um, and I'll explain it here in a second, but I want you to think about a muscle, okay? Muscles have to be stretched out in order for them to function correctly. Some translations of this passage use this idea of have, uh, have an earnest love or a love that is without cease or a love that is not ceasing or some of them deeply like we read here in the NIV because it's this idea in the Greek that the, that the, the, the depth, the earnestness, it's something that's getting stretched, okay? Something that's getting pulled, something that's getting um, separated from each other. And so the idea is this, have a love that can be stretched out and out and out and out and out out some more, okay? And Peter says this isn't just a good suggestion. He says this is a top priority as we move towards the last days. Notice he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, if you are paying attention, you're probably thinking, hold on, don't we always need love? Why is Peter emphasizing love in the context of the last days? Shouldn't we always be walking in love? And I think the answer to that question is because one of the main characteristics of the last days is going to be the spirit of offense, okay? The number one tactic that the enemy is using right now against the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm talking June, July 2020, is offense, okay? Now, people are offended at the church, people are offended at their parents, people are offended at the government, people are offended at their brothers and sisters, people are offended at themselves, and ultimately, I have talked to Christians that are offended at God. 
The Greek word for offense is the Greek word skandalizo. Okay, skandalizo. You may recognize that that's where we get the English word to scandalize. It's a word that means a stumbling block or an offense. And when we are scandalized, what happens is we are shocked or horrified by someone else's behavior. And do you know what happens when you get scandalized or shocked or horrified? You become numb emotionally. And the more you become numb emotionally, you become numb to your own mistakes and your own sins. And the problem is that when we get horrified and shocked at someone else's sin, what happens is that we start to overlook and legitimize our own sin. Well, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so because can you believe what they did or what that person said? And the problem with this kind of thinking is that it's not biblical. And it's not the gospel. If you don't recognize that at any given moment you are no different than any other person who has ever sinned, then what happens is you will begin to operate in a spirit of self-righteousness and pride. Which is why we have a generation of Christians today who can lob hand grenades on Facebook at one another without any kind of remorse whatsoever. Or social media of Instagram or TikTok. Sorry for younger people. I know you're not on Facebook anymore. I'm old. I confess it. All right. But this idea becomes, are we really stretching? Are we really operating in what God wants us to operate? Or are we becoming Pharisees and rock throwers because we disagree and are offended at other people's sins and offenses? Can I suggest that one of the main things that God is doing in this season is he is allowing issues in your heart and my heart to come to the fore. And when we are busy with our normal lifestyle, what happens is it's easy to mask our dysfunctions, our wounds, our addictions, and our issues. And I promise you, I can guarantee you, I don't even have to ask you, at some point in this season, and by this season I mean the last four months, you have had to come face to face with the harsh reality of yourself. And so has everyone else around you. Now, put this within the context of marriage and relationships. If you are married, this means that your spouse also has had to deal with all aspects of you. (laughs) And the question becomes, how are you going to respond to yourself, to your spouse, and to friends around you? And before you answer that question, I'd like to ask all the perfect people in the room, could you slip up your hand real quick? Okay, no hands going up, including mine. Notice my hand is not up, and my wife is saying amen, okay? Perhaps the idea here of a stretchy love is this idea, like maybe a rubber band, that if you're going to keep the relationship from breaking, there has to be a tension of love that says, you know what? You're messed up just as much as I'm messed up, and if I don't create a context of love instead of a context of shaming and a context of canceling and a context that says, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Hello, look in the mirror. Every single person who has ever sinned is guilty of putting the Son of God on the cross. You are murderers, is what the Bible says. That's the gospel message. And so it's so easy to point our fingers and not realize that in doing so, what we are legitimizing is a context where no one can be honest and open up and say, hey, you know what? I'm really struggling with this. Would you cover me with your love so I can be healed and whole? Now, what we are not saying is we're not legitimizing sin because remember in verse 3, Peter already dealt with that. And Peter said, if you're going to stop living as pagans, here are some of the requirements. You can't be carousing. You can't be in idolatry. You can't be drunken. You can't be walking in all kinds of wickedness and darkness, right? So love isn't just, well, love, I can do whatever I want to do. No, within the context of biblical Christianity, what love provides is the parameters for broken people like you and me to come and be healed and respond to the gospel message to the outstretched. See that word again? The outstretched arms of Jesus Christ that are open 
for every person to respond and give their lives to Jesus. Do you know in the Greek, there's four types of love? We have agape love, we have storge love, we have phileo love, and we have eros love. Now, I think this is on the screen, awesome, agape, okay, you see it there. The idea here is that agape is God's kind of love, storge is parental kind of love, phileo is brotherly kind of love, and eros is marital kind of love. By that I mean the marriage relationship. Now, I like to separate these three or four and put agape in a category by itself because that's a vertical relationship between me and God. And then you have storge, phileo, and eros are all horizontal dimensions of this thing called life where we all interact and have relationships with people, right? Now, if there is an imbalance in any three of those categories, by that I mean if you are offended, if you are hurt, if, you, if your relationships are breaking apart on a parental level, a brotherly level, and by brotherly, that's just friendships with one another, on a marital level, then I suggest that the problem is not that you need to go back to the bottom three. The problem is you need to go back to category number one and have a fresh revelation and understanding of the love of God in your life. If there's any imbalance in any of the bottom three, it's usually because something is out of balance in category one. Now, look at this next part here because this is the part that is really interesting to me. Verse nine, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, okay? Without grumbling. The Greek word here, grumbling, is an interesting word. It's goguzo, okay? And it's a verb that's actually only used four times in the New Testament, Uh, It basically means to have a secret complaint or a displeasure against someone else. So you're harboring that offense deep inside, but you're not opening up to share it with anyone, all right? And it's the exact same verb root that you find in Acts chapter 6. If you've read your Bible, you know that Acts chapter 6 is the racism passage in the New Testament, okay? We often, I hear people say, if we could just go back to the New Testament, what an awesome church. I'm like, have you ever read the New Testament? Do you really know how messed up some things were in the New Testament in the early church? What you have in that story is Grecian widows are complaining against Jewish widows because their, their widows are being neglected in the food distribution. And so you have the Greeks pitted against the Jews and you have racial tensions flaring. And Peter was the head of the church in Jerusalem during that point. So Peter, the one writing this passage, is very much familiar with this idea of goguso, secret murmurings against one another of what was taking place. And Peter saw division along racial lines, almost bringing the church to a halt. Now, notice what he says, offer hospitality to one another without goguso, all right? Now, I would suggest today that the danger in our generation is for us, even here at FC, to divide ourselves along the lines of echo chambers. What is an echo chamber in the church? Well, we divide ourselves along our own ethnic lines and interest groups. Remember, in the first message that Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, there were 16 different ethnicities that were represented in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Okay, that would include Parthians, Medes, Arabs, Elamites. There are three continents represented. That would be Africa, Asia, and Europe. The point is that the early church was a multi-ethnic church. So the practical application of covering others with love is sharing our love and our time and our interests and getting to know one another within the context of the body of Christ. Peter is saying, offer hospitality to one another because we are a diverse representation of the population of earth. Jesus will have a representative from every tribe and tongue within the context of his church. 
And you may say, well, that's great for Kenya. No, did you know right here at FC, we have people from a Hispanic background. We have African-Americans. We have people from Egypt. We have people from Ethiopia. We have people from all over the world. And if all we do is divide along the lines of our own, of our own understanding of racial preferences or interest groups, what we are doing is we are no better than the world out there in terms of our representation of the love of Christ. And so my challenge to each of us and to all of us is simply this. We have to be the kind of people that are creating a context of love that says, you know what? We are going to represent Jesus' love and that because his arms were outstretched to every ethnic group within the four walls of the church, what we believe and what we believe is happening even in this hour is that Jesus is drawing people from every single background to become my brother, to become my sister, and together we march arm in arm, not because we are Americans or white Christians or black Christians or Latino Christians, but because we are all Christians together under the banner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of the gospel, because of who he is, we can honor one another and submit to one another and prefer one another in brotherly love. So the next question I ask as we look to close this, and you know when I say that I'm closing, it doesn't mean anything, right? Okay. (laughs) In love, are you forgiving people more freely and readily? Or are you harboring offense and secret complaints? Are you angry that people are wearing masks or that people aren't wearing masks? Are you lobbying character assassination bombs via social media? Can I just tell you that's not Christ-like? That's not walking in love? That's not preparing a context and a culture where Jesus can be glorified? The love of Christ mandates you to lay aside your opinions for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to say it again then. If pastor thinks it's good, I'm going to say it again. (laughs) The love of Christ mandates you to lay aside your opinions for the sake of the gospel. And then finally, and I promise I really am closing this time. um, Point number three, help me real quick. We said please, P stands for? Prayer. Prayer. L stands for? Love. Love. And then they have this idea of S, which is this idea that we pick up here in verses 10 through 11 of serve. It says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. See the word there, serve? Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, there's that word again, he should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So what's the objective of serving. Well, Peter's going to line up this idea of building others up and glorifying God, okay? Building others up and glorifying God. Now, the challenge in the church in many generations is that when it came to the idea of serving, instead of using the gifts to build each other up, we use the gifts to build ourselves up. And instead of using the gifts to glorify God, we use the gifts to glorify ourselves and get a large following on social media, right? And I'm not against social media. I know I've come against social media. I actually like social media. Please don't take it the wrong way. I just think it can be used for good or it can be used for bad, right? So what does Peter say here? He says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Now, why is it so important for you to use your specific spiritual gifts that you received when you gave your life to Jesus? Peter is going to answer that question and he's going to say, this is how we administer God's grace to one another. The verse says, as a steward of God's grace in its various forms. Did you know that you have been entrusted with a unique aspect of God's grace that no one else can operate in to the extent that you can operate in? 
The Greek word here for various is interesting. It's this idea of varied, manifold, or multicolored. Now keep that in mind just for a second, okay? So here's the question I want to get to. How do people get saved? Well, Paul says in Ephesians that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, right? Ephesians 2.8. That's simple gospel 101. In other words, faith has to be awakened in someone's heart in order for salvation to take place. But where does the faith come from? At some point, Paul and Peter are saying that they have to taste and see God's grace in operation in its various forms through your life and through mine. And realize that Jesus isn't just someone who's available for that person over there or that group over there, but Jesus is applicable to my life right here, right now. And Peter says that God's grace can be tasted when believers use their spiritual gifts. You have gifts this morning that I don't, and as such, you have expressions of God's grace that I don't. This is why I can talk to someone about Jesus, and I share something along the lines of my story and how what God did for me, and they look at me and they go, blink, 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 doesn't make any sense, doesn't compute. And I've watched this happen before. Somebody else comes along and says almost the exact same thing that I just said, and not even as good as I said it. And the person goes, oh my God, I'm ready to get saved. And you're like, what? How does that work? It's because there is a unique specific expression of God's grace that is only in operation through your life when you are faithful to utilize and exercise and operate the gifts that Jesus has put inside of you. So many times I hear this thing, well, the church doesn't need me. Yes, the church desperately needs you, and specifically in this hour when all hell is breaking loose on planet Earth, if you're not diligent and faithful to operate in the gifts that Jesus has placed in your life, then what you are saying is this, the church, the body, my brothers, my sisters don't need the expression of the grace of God that Jesus entrusted in me. And that's not true. That's dangerous. So what I'm saying is you have gifts deposited inside of you by the Holy Spirit. When you use them, Jesus is glorified and your brothers and sisters are strengthened. Now, this is one of the main reasons we set up the Grow Class last summer, because we want to help you discover how to use your gifts. And I'm not going to go into it very long today, but just maybe put those three categories up on the screen so that people kind of have an understanding of what it is that we're talking about. Romans 12 lines out the motivational gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 lines out the manifestation gifts. Ephesians 4 lines out the ministry gifts. And every single person, let me put it this way, I've traveled all over the world, I've preached in multiple continents and countries, I have never, listen to me, I have never met a Christian who doesn't have a gift. So you may be sitting here and say, well, this isn't for me because I don't have any spiritual gifts. No, you've been brainwashed if you believe that. When Jesus saved you, he didn't just save you to sit and soak. He saved you to sit and serve and to become active and to get involved in ministering and building up in the body of Christ. So you have at least one of those, and what other discovery I've made as I've traveled and met Christians all over the place is I've never met a Christian who only has one gift. So do you know what your gifts are? And are you using them? Because if not, there is a treasure inside of you that is not being released that is for the glorification of God and for the service of other people. Now I think, correct me if I'm wrong, first week of August, first week of August, we're going back into full grow class mode. That means every Sunday, you can come and participate. I just barely scratched the surface. I've heard people say, well, isn't Grow Class just for new believers? No, Grow Class is for all believers, okay? So that we can faithfully be the body of Christ that understands how to walk out everything that God desires us to walk out, all right? So let's do a, a quick review here. We talked about one more question. 
Uh, question three, in service, are you using your gifts to build others up and glorify Jesus? Or are you inflating yourself and stealing God's glory? In service, are you using your gifts to build others up and glorify Jesus? Are you inflating yourselves and stealing God's glory? So we talked about P. What does that stand for? Okay. We talked about L. We talked about S. Serve. And we said the title of this message is simply this. Please don't go back to normal. And I'm pleading with you. As If I'm younger than you, then I'm your younger brother today. If I'm older than you, then I'm your older brother in Christ today, okay? I'm pleading with you as either your younger or your older brother, all right, in Christ. Please don't go back to normal. The generation that we live in is in dire, dire, desperate straits for the manifestation of the people of God in the power of the Spirit. This isn't a time for us to go back to normal and to retreat into our own safety zones and say, well, whatever happens out there happens out there, but we're the church and we're saved and Jesus is coming and we're going to be okay and all that and oh, we're just going to escape. No. This is the hour for us to rise up with an urgency that says, this is why we are alive to pull people out of darkness, to snatch them out of the throes of hell, and to introduce them to a living, dynamic relationship with Jesus. Not because we're perfect, but because we operate in love. And we say, you know what? Without the gospel, there go I. But because of the gospel, you don't have to go that way either. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to look at your word. Lord, I believe it's a timely word that you've been using to challenge me all week long. And Lord, it, it's, it's stirring inside of me. And so my prayer today for your people is that, Lord, we would not go back to normal. As tempting, as easy, as comfortable as that may be. That, Lord, we would be the kind of people like Peter is talking to the New Testament believers who make a determination and a decision to say, Lord, we want to be a part of what you're doing in this hour. And so, Lord, I pray over Foundations Church. Lord, I just pray today that you would release a fresh hunger for prayer, a fresh hunger for your presence. That, Lord, we would have encounters with your goodness and your grace like we have never had before. Lord, I pray that we would walk in love, that we would exercise that muscle of forgiveness. That, Lord, we would be the kind of people who extend love one towards another, not because we're perfect or we're setting some self-righteous standard, but because we recognize the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us. And, Lord, I pray that we would serve. We would grow in service. We would grow in, um, man, building each other up and in glorifying God. Lord, I'm so thankful today for every single person here at FC. And, Lord, I just... Bless them today, and I just thank you that you're going to do a powerful work in their hearts. In Jesus' name. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to join a connect group, feel free to email me at nicole at foundationschurch.tv.
We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv. Thank you.